Turn, if you would, tonight to 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter two. Let's go to the the Lord in prayer. Father, we do thank you for this day. We are thankful, Lord, for your faithfulness, and we're thankful, Lord, that uh, we can trust in you. We can depend depend on you at all times in all areas of life. And Lord, I. Thank you for your word that we can look into tonight. I pray that you'd bless the effort to preach your word. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Last week, you may remember, we gave attention to verses 10 through 14. And there, uh, Paul made it clear that spiritual understanding is only made possible through the power of the Spirit of God in a person's life. He made it clear that the natural man or the unsaved man will not receive the things of the Spirit of God, neither will he know them or understand them. And so basically what Paul said is it is impossible for a lost man to accept what the Word of God has to say because he does not understand what the Word of God has to say. And you see that to be true in so many areas of life uh, where people who are lost, they just don't get it. And uh, we looked in chapter 3 in the first part of the chapter where uh, we understand this, that a person can also be carnal, which means they can be very worldly in their way of thinking. They may be saved, but they are very worldly. And as a result of their worldly way of thinking, they too do not accept the truth of God's word because they do not understand it. And the challenge for you and I is to consider our own attitude toward the Word of God and how often do we find ourselves questioning it or rejecting it. Whenever you and I are constantly questioning the Word of God or rejecting the Word of God, when we're refusing to accept it, then that says something about our spiritual condition and our spiritual temperature. And so if we're constantly wrestling, if we're constantly doubting, if we're constantly rejecting, Uh, We need to get some things squared away in our life one way or another. So that's what we talked about last week. Tonight we're going to finish up chapter 2. As we do, I want to ask you a question. I don't know that this has happened to everyone in the room tonight, but I want to ask you this very simple question. Has anyone ever frustrated you? Okay. I think most of us at some point have been frustrated with other people, have we not? At some point in the last 21 years, I've been frustrated with Susie. She's been frustrated with me. In the last 18 and a half years, I have been frustrated with children, and children have been frustrated with me. In the last 15 and a half years, I have been frustrated with church members. And church members have been frustrated with me. Over the course of my life, I've had co-workers that I have been frustrated at, and those co-workers have been frustrated at me. I have had friends that I have been frustrated with, and those friends, no doubt, have been frustrated with me at times. It seems as though it matters not where we look. At some point, we are going to get frustrated with the people around us. That seems to be the way life works, right? You can identify, right, being frustrated with your spouse at least once, with your kids at least once, with your pastor at least once, with a co-worker at least once, with a friend at least once. I mean, 
you, you know what that's like, right? Surely you do, to be frustrated with someone in your life. Now, that being said, we could ask this question tonight. Why do people frustrate us? Well, we could be here all night discussing that answer, couldn't we? I am frustrated because of this. They frustrate me because of this. They frustrate me because of this. And we could be here truly for hours talking about all the different ways in which people frustrate us because surely if someone said this, that would excite someone else and they would say, I know, I can't stand it when they do that, then we'd be here forever. So tonight, rather than trying to mention all the things that frustrate us from time to time with different people in our lives, I want us to think about one area of life that seems to cause us frustration and I think it's done unintentionally more times than not. And that area would be this. Whenever we have unrealistic expectations on the people in our lives. If I have an unrealistic expectation of Susie, she will eventually frustrate me. If she has an unrealistic expectation of me, I will one day frustrate her. If I have unrealistic expectations on my children, at some point I will be frustrated because they are not meeting the expectations that I have on them. And the same would be true of every person in our life if we have an unrealistic expectation of them. If it is something they are not able to do, yet we expect them, listen, we expect them to be able to do it, and they simply cannot, that will eventually frustrate us. I've been frustrated with church members because I had unrealistic expectations of them. Church members have been frustrated with me because they had unrealistic expectations of their pastor. I don't care where you want to consider this, unrealistic expectations will always lead to our frustration. Now here's the thing with unrealistic expectations of people. It's not their fault. We're the ones who have placed the unrealistic expectations on them. They never came to us and said, would you expect more of me than I'm capable of? We did that to ourselves. So if you think about it, some of the frustration that we have experienced over the course of our lives with different people in whatever realm you want to consider tonight, some of the frustration that we have brought into our lives, it is our own fault because we expected more of them than they could perform or they could achieve. So if you think about it, the fix is fairly simple. Stop. Stop having unrealistic expectations of people. 
When you have realistic expectations of people, then you'll not be frustrated near as often. But if you continue to have unrealistic expectations of folks, then you will continue to be frustrated. So what you and I have to do is stop having these unrealistic expectations. And while it is easy to state in principle, you and I know it is difficult to do when it comes to performing this lowered expectation of people because we still expect them to be up here even though we've told ourselves they're not these kind of people they're down here kind of people it's not their fault it is our fault that we have placed the unrealistic expectations on them and that is what creates in us then the frustration that we have when they fail to meet what we want them to do. We'll get back to that in a few minutes, but tonight look in verse number 16. Verse number 16, Paul says to the believers, of course, continuing his thoughts from verses 10 through 14, he says in verse number 16, For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? What does it mean whenever Paul asks the question, who hath known the mind of the Lord? Well, the word known there means this, to understand something. So the question that is being asked in part would be this, who hath understood the mind of the Lord? And the answer to that question would be this, no one. No one has truly fully and completely understood the mind of the Lord. You take the greatest mind, you take the greatest thinker, you take the greatest scholar, you take the greatest theologian, you take the greatest Bible student to ever walk on this earth, and here is what I can assure you, he hath not known or fully understood the mind of the Lord. And to continue the thought, Paul said, that he may instruct him, which means this, that he may teach him. So who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct or teach the Lord something? And again, the answer would be, no one has ever been in a position to teach the Lord God anything. God is above us, God is higher than us, and God is on a plane that you and I will never come close to achieving he is going to do things that our minds will never understand. He is going to perform things that our minds could never grasp. And you and I will never offer him a shred of insight on anything. That's important to know. Because sometimes we want to tell God some things. Uh, God, you know, if you would do this, seriously, you think you know my mind, you think you understand my mind, and you think that you can instruct me, you think that you can teach me, sometimes we want to say something like this, God, it just seems like that if you would do this, then this would happen. We've got to remember our place in the order of intelligence and understanding and superiority. We are not even remotely equal with God on the thought process and the understanding process. So you and I have got to remember that we can instruct Him in no way whatsoever because God is light years ahead of us in the realm or in the department of thinking and understanding 
it's not even close. I know this is shocking some of us, but truly it is not even close. We do not have the ability to understand nor to instruct or teach the Lord anything. But oddly enough, he says in verse number 16, but we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. What does it mean to have something? It means to possess something. So what do we have? What do we possess? Paul said to the believers there in Corinth that we have the mind of Christ. So what does that mean? It does mean this if you consider the context that Though we are not able to know the mind of the Lord and though we are not able to instruct Him on anything or teach Him anything, because of the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, we can have an understanding of the mind of Christ as is needed. You and I are able to have spiritual understanding. We're able to have this spiritual discernment. We're able to have this knowledge that we need in the different areas of life. But you and I have got to remember this because, again, I, I think sometimes we struggle to accept this. There are certain times that we're not going to know the mind of God. We're not going to understand what God is trying to do and what God is trying to accomplish. But if we are serving him and we'll touch on this more in just a moment but if we are serving him as we ought then we will know everything we're supposed to know as we need to know it as it relates to whatever situation we're in god will give us the wisdom and the understanding we need and if we do not have the wisdom and understanding that we desire then either we're not asking for it properly or we're not in need of it like we think we are. All right, so we understand verse 16, I hope, who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Now go back to verse number 15, or verse number 14. Go back to verse number 14, Paul said, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. So we remember from the review of last week's message, we're talking about an unsaved man. They don't receive or accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness. It's ridiculous. It's silly. It's absurd unto them. Neither can he know or understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. Now, if we remember the context of this, that we're talking about the natural man and the carnal man would also fall into this same category, notice what he says in verse number 15. He says, but he that is spiritual. He that is spiritual. Well, that would be the exact opposite of the natural man or the carnal man. The spiritual man is no doubt one who is a saved man. And the spiritual man is not just one who is saved, but he is also one, as the Word would explain in, in the Bible dictionaries, the spiritual man is not just one who is saved, but he is one who is also governed by the Spirit of God in his life. Not everyone who claims to be saved obviously is governed by the Spirit of God, or they would not be carnal. Okay, so the spiritual man is not just one who has a testimony of salvation, but the spiritual man is also the one whose life is governed by the Spirit of God. And he says in verse number 15 that it is the spiritual man who judgeth all things. Well, what does it mean to judge all things? Well, it means to discern all things. 
it means to have understanding of things. I don't mean to be repetitive in this, but you can't help what the words mean, okay? So he says the spiritual individual, whether it be a man or a woman, a young adult or even a child, he says the spiritual individual discerns and understands all things. Now, again, the context would help us to understand this. They discern this or they judge things from a spiritual perspective. Spiritual people judge things from a spiritual perspective. That's how they view things. Unsaved people do not judge things or discern things or understand things from a spiritual perspective. They see it from a worldly perspective. And the carnal person, though they may be saved because of their carnality, because of their worldliness, here is what you discover of the carnal, that they do not discern things from a spiritual standpoint. They do not understand things from a spiritual standpoint. Though they are saved, they still have a very secular, worldly approach to life. And so the spiritual... They judge all things, yet, he says in verse number 15, yet he himself is judged of no man. Yet he himself is judged of no man. Who is he speaking of whenever he says, he himself? That's a reference to the spiritual man. All right, so he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself, that being the spiritual man, the saved man, the one who is governed by the Holy Spirit in his life, is judged of no man. What does it mean to be judged of no man? Well, we think of having kind of like a judgmental attitude sometimes, do we not? And so if we were to just read this and maybe read it according to our normal understanding, it would seem as though the Apostle Paul was saying or is saying that, that no man judges the spiritual man. And we would say, but that's not true because spiritual people are judged all the time by other people. So that's not what it means then. So what does it mean? It means this. But he that is spiritual judgeth or discerneth all things... Yet he himself, the spiritual man, is not judged or discerned of any man. Now here's what the scholars will tell you if you read the, the books. And here's what the, the commentaries will agree on, by and large, that what the Apostle Paul is saying, though it's unique for our vernacular and how we phrase things, what the Apostle Paul is saying is this, the spiritual man is not understood by the natural man and the spiritual man is not understood or rightly discerned by the carnal man. And so the thought would be this, that as the spiritual man judgeth all things, from a spiritual perspective, lost and carnal people don't discern 
why the spiritual person discerns things the way that they do. And they are not able to understand why the spiritual person thinks and operates and functions as they do. So consider the big picture here before we move on. When a person is saved, spiritual understanding comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the only way in which spiritual discernment is ever achieved. The natural man, the carnal man, they do not receive it and they do not understand it. They don't grasp it. They don't discern it because these things are spiritually discerned. Okay, none of us completely know the mind of God, but we do have the mind of Christ because of the Spirit of God that is working in us. And as a result of that, for those who are spiritual, they see things through a spiritual lens. They see things from a spiritual perspective. And the natural man and the carnal man looks at how the spiritual man sees things, and it is impossible for them to understand and discern how the saved person thinks and comes to such conclusions in life. Well, is that true? Man, oh man, is it true? I thought I'd give us some examples this evening. Just see if this, I don't know, strikes close to home at any point. Just, Just think about this for a moment. Politics are kind of a hot topic, are they not? They are with some people. The world tends to look at politics from one perspective. A spiritual person looks at politics from a completely different perspective. The natural man and the carnal man are looking to politicians to fix the problems. The natural man, the carnal man, they want to know what are you going to do for education? What are you going to do about the economy? What are you going to do about border control? What are you going to do about national security? What are you going to do about this? What are you going to do about this? What are you going to do about this? And you know what the spiritual man is concerned with? You know what the spiritual woman is concerned with? They are concerned about the spiritual, biblical aspects of what's happening in the state of politics and in the state of affairs. See, the Christian isn't worried so much about the economic plan or the national security plan. What the Christian wants to know is what is your position on abortion? What is your position on gay marriage? What is your position on this? What is your position on this? And, and what we're worried about would be biblical issues or scriptural issues. And I promise you, when you are talking to a natural man or when you are talking to a carnal man, they listen to what we're worried about and they don't quite understand why it is we have the perspective that we have. If you don't believe that, talk politics with people. Because you'll find that people greatly support this candidate or this candidate or this candidate. 
And the Christian says, our answer is not in those candidates. Our answer is in the Word of God, in the nation returning to God, things of that nature. The world does not understand it because they cannot understand it. We'll move on. I don't know that it'll be any more exciting, just a little side note. Okay, I'm just going to throw some things out here, see if this, again, gets close to home or whatever. Try explaining to a lost person or a carnal person that you're really not as hung up on the things of this world as you once were. They have a hard time understanding that. They don't understand a perspective like that. Don't you want more? Well, I mean, if I get more, it's okay. But that's not my goal in life. It's not to see how much I can amass to myself. If you started saying things like this, I'm really not worried about building up treasures on earth. I want to build up treasure in heaven. I promise you the natural man and the carnal man is looking at you like, what? Because the natural man and the carnal man is of the mindset that you get everything you can while living on this earth because it's all about the toys and it's all about the possessions and it's all about the things. Try explaining your priorities to a natural man. To a carnal man. And see how quickly... They zone out on you. Tell them something like this. We can't do that. We have church Wednesday night. What? We have church Wednesday night. You can skip that, right? Oh, well, sure, we could. But see, that's priority. That takes priority over this. It takes priority over this. It takes priority over this. I promise you, whenever you start explaining priorities like church attendance to someone who is lost or someone who is carnal, they will look at you like, I have no idea what it is you're talking about. This makes no sense to me. Explain to them why you, by way of priority, prioritize your money in such a way that X amount of money or X percentage amount of money, it goes to the church. And if some people started hearing how much some people in this church gave to the church, they would look at you like, are you serious? You give that much money to your church? That makes no sense. In the eyes of the natural man, in the eyes of the carnal man, they don't begin to understand or discern what the spiritual man is doing with their life and with their finances and their priorities. We'll throw this one out real quick and then we'll move on. Try explaining to the natural or the carnal man why you don't let your kids do certain things and why you expect other things of your kids. You really don't let your kids do that? No, we don't. 
How come? Well, we just don't feel like it's scriptural. We don't feel like it's biblical. We don't feel like it would honor the Lord. And I'm telling you, you'll have so-called saved people questioning, well, why in the world are you so worried about it? Why are you forcing your kids to do this? Don't you know they're going to resent that? And don't you know one day they're just going to grow up and rebel against everything? You know, you're just cramming all this down their throat. And don't you know that one day that's going to come back and bite you? And that is the way the world thinks. And they don't begin to understand what it is we're trying to do as parents with our children. Now, there is a reason, again, that they don't understand, that they don't discern what you and I, as, as trying to be spiritual people, are doing. They don't understand our perception and our discernment of things. And I want to ask you this evening, just consider this for a moment. I want to ask you, how many of us have ever been involved in conversations like I've just mentioned or other conversations of a similar sort and as you have had the conversations with them, you have become so frustrated that they're not seeing what you're trying to explain to them. You're trying to explain to your parents. Dad and Mom, this is why we're doing what we're doing. They think we're the crazy ones. And I don't know if you've ever left the conversation and you've just wanted to scream. How can they not see? Maybe you've had conversations with your kids and you've left the conversation so furious. Because it is so obvious that what they are doing is hurting themselves. Why don't you just see it? Here's the answer. Because they can't. They can't. Talking to the co-worker. And what they're doing is just, it's crazy. And you talk to your spouse about what the co-worker is doing. And you say to them, I have talked to them, I have talked to them, I have talked to them until they, you know, and, and, until I don't know what else to say. I have talked to them until I am blue in the face. I am so frustrated. I am so fed up with it. It's like they're not listening to a thing I say. You're right. Because... The spiritual person is not understood by the natural person or the carnal person. There have been times I have visited with people who profess to be saved and I've walked away from those conversations and I've scratched my head and I've thought, they don't get it. They don't get it. And I've been so frustrated. I've been so irritated. I've been so angry. 
And I've lost sight of this truth. Because they are either not saved or they are not spiritual, which means they are not governed by the Holy Spirit, they cannot begin to discern how the spiritual discern things. They cannot do it. Now, I want to show us something, and I hope this will all tie together in the next couple of minutes. But whenever you and I are dealing with the lost person, or when you and I are dealing with the carnal person, and we are trying to help them see our point of view, you know what we have of them? We have unrealistic expectations of them. We are expecting them to see something that is only discerned through spiritual vision. And if one is not spiritual, they are incapable of understanding anything spiritual. And so here's what happens so many times in our personal lives, whether it be with a family member, the friend, the co-worker, the church member, whoever it is, We've got this unrealistic expectation on them, and because they are not meeting our expectation by seeing things from a spiritual standpoint, we are making ourselves frustrated because we are wanting to, them to do something they are incapable of doing. Because until they decide to get serious about their spiritual life, you and I will not show them anything that they will grasp or understand. So what do we do? Well, we do this. We help ourselves... By, stop, by stopping the expectation that they will get what is spiritual, though they are natural or carnal. If you've got a family member that is natural or carnal, save yourself a lot of frustration and stop thinking that this will be the conversation that the light bulb comes on. Because until they want to get serious about being spiritually minded, it's not going to happen. If you've got that friend who is either unsaved or ungodly, though you so badly want them to see where they are going wrong in their spiritual lives, though you want that, save yourself a lot of frustration and stop assuming that they're going to understand your position on this because they're not going to. They're just not. And you may sit here this evening and you may say, oh, well, I mean, I mean I'm not even frustrated with anyone right now. Okay, that was the key right now. Because you will be. At some point, 
someone you care about is going to be doing something stupid. You're going to know that is dumb. That's going to hurt you. You're going to regret that. And your tendency, because you care, will be to try to show them. But they're not going to discern how the spiritual discern things. Because either they do not have the mind of Christ or they do not have spiritual discernment. And for us to expect them to have the discernment when they have no desire for it is expecting something of them they cannot do, and it only frustrates us. Is there anybody in your life that you get frustrated with sometimes? From the spiritual standpoint of things? Save yourself the frustration and just say there's a reason for it. They're either not saved or they're just carnal right now. And until they want to get serious, there's no sense in me getting all worked up about this. I might as well just, in the words of Frozen, let it go. Just let it go. Because we're not going to do ourselves any favor by getting all worked up just because we can see what they don't have the discernment to see themselves. Save yourself some frustration and stop trying to get them to see things they cannot see. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Fathers, we come to you this evening. Lord, I think every one of us know that so many times we leave the presence of someone that we care about, we're frustrated, we're irritated, we're angry. Sometimes we're heartbroken. There, there's such a wide range of emotions that we're dealing with because we so badly want them to see things from a spiritual standpoint, and you're clear in your word that it's not possible. Until they are willing to get right with you, either in salvation or in their spiritual life, until they're willing to do that, they're not going to see things the way that they ought. And I pray that you'd help us to realize that tonight and to save ourselves the frustration that comes from expecting too much from people. So I pray that you'd help us, and if there's anyone that needs to respond tonight, that you'd help us to do so and turn those things over to you. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.